Hello, and welcome to the Work Alchemy podcast, conversations about impact, where entrepreneurs and leaders share how they have impact, the sweet moments, and the challenges. I'm your host, Ursula York. I help entrepreneurs grow successful businesses that make a difference in the world. Impact is more than mission, more than purpose, even more than your why. Impact is where your unique self and business meet the world and contribute to making it better for all of us. These stories are here to inspire and energize you so you can have your own unique impact. Today, we have two guests on the podcast. First is JJ French. Second is Steve Farber. JJ started Twisted Sister, the internationally renowned heavy metal band, nearly 50 years ago and has amassed 37 gold and platinum albums as a musician, manager, producer, and executive producer, while having performed over 9,000 shows in 40 countries, selling 20 million records around the world. Steve Farber is ranked on Inc.'s list of the top 50 leadership and management experts in the world. He's a Wall Street Journal bestselling author and the founder and CEO of the Extreme Leadership Institute. Before we get started, I'm excited to share an opportunity with you, the $1,000 marketing plan. Would it be a relief to bring in enough clients to make your big vision possible and not feel icky about your marketing? For just $1,000, you'll receive a customized plan for your business that focuses on your impact and clearly maps out your next steps for marketing your most valuable offering. Be in alignment with what you value and the change you want to make in the world. Go to the1000dollarmarketingplan.com for more information. Click on any button to get started. Don't forget the whole name, the1000indigitsmarketingplan.com. Click on any button to get your customized marketing plan underway. The link is also in the show notes. Before we begin, this podcast conversation is between adults and contains a little adult language. So if you have little ones near you, you might want to use your headphones. Welcome, JJ and Steve. It's delightful to have you both here. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for having us. So, um, JJ, I, I read your book. It was an awesome read. And I'm, I am so intrigued by the fact that you very early on had the recognition that you were a really good guitar player, but not great, not world class. And your decision then was to become a rock star, which you say is more about business savvy and management and all of the roles that you played for the band. Um, you were the manager, you own the brand, you do all the licensing deals. How, how did you have the wisdom at that point to recognize what you could and couldn't do? Because so many people hold that, you know, desire of wanting to do something so strongly, it's really hard to let it go. I'm, I'm really curious about. Well, I think, I think um, early, early on in the band's existence, uh, probably version uh, uh, we get into the book about how many versions it took to get to the version that everybody knows yeah. which was the 11th version right on or on or around the third or fourth version when i took over management i realized that those management skills are extremely important to the band and extremely important to me and um and i shifted my focus away two things one was yeah, rock star is not the same as a as a great musician. It can be on very rare occasions. For the most part, it's not. It's really different skill sets. But so is management, obviously. It's a really yeah. different skill set. I mean, it's really, it's actually the most 
extreme uh, separation because there's not many manager artists. I, I can right. name two, which is Steve Miller and Mick Fleetwood. And there may be others, but those would be famous names that you would know because those are so incredibly different. You know, manager is a cartilage between um, artistry and commerce. And, and, and I've always been there anyway. So that's one aspect of it. And the other part of it is the quote rock star issue, which is developing a persona that's a rock star. The JJ French persona was developed kind of like in dressing rooms, looking at the mirror, seeing how it looked, you know, seeing how the package all came together and right. then trying to figure out a way how to put that into another package. So that was, um, that's like the W of the twisted method. That's, that's part of the wisdom aspect of it. And, and I think that if you look at Kiss, Gene and Paul had the same thing. You know, these, are, these guys aren't great musicians. They're not on the list of top 10 anything, but they certainly are on the list of great bands. And I think that they kind of pursued it. And if you kind of look at the Beatles, uh, you know, um, you don't see George Harrison's name on the list of top guitar players. And you don't see Ringo's name on the list of top drummers, although to many they are. Mm -hmm. But the point is that the that the, the 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 sum is greater than the separate separate parts. And then you have bands like Cream, where it's like three separate virtuosos, and you see how unsuccessful that was after yeah. a while. Yeah. I mean, that kind of exploded after two years because they couldn't they couldn't stand each other because it was too much going on. Right. So you, the understanding of the ebb and the flow and the power structures. Is something that I, I, I give myself credit to know enough to, to get out of the way. And also from a guitarist playing standpoint, most great baseball players, most really good players, the guys with long careers are not the 300 hitters, the 330 guys, the guys who get the big contract for four years. It's mostly the guys that have been around the journeyman for 20 years and they they hit 250 or 260 a year. Mm -hmm. And, and, uh, and, and they sustain very long professional careers because they have a different view of who they are and what they do. So there's a combination of all of those things, a real practical uh, view of how things are, which is, an, which is, a, which is weird because it's an, an, it's an impractical business yeah. to be in. So to be practical in an impractical business is, is, is unusual. Yeah. Well, I mean, your focus was really on being an entertainer and did that obviously incredibly successfully. And then, uh, but in the background, all these business decisions being made. So um, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm Steve, I'm wondering about your perspective on that in terms of, you know, people coming to a realization about where their strengths are and how do you see what you've done and what JJ's done and in, in your careers about, about being able to really recognize where to focus. Yeah, so there's there's another aspect to this um, when you look at at JJ's career. And and by the way, just you, just you know, for context, uh, we worked on this book together because uh, for a number of reasons, in addition to our our great friendship. But we wanted it to be a book that wasn't just a memoir. It was also a business book because mm -hmm. JJ is a business guy, as, as you've been talking mm -hmm. about. So, so there are business lessons in this, and, and he coined the phrase bizoir right. as a result. <laughs> part business book, part yeah, memoir. I love that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, so do I. Um, but, but the other aspect to this, to answer your question, Ursula, there's, you know, I'm a big believer, as people who followed my work know, in, in your, the importance of the love for your work. Mm -hmm. And really, before JJ was a musician, before he discovered his, out of necessity, in large part, his acumen for business, he was a fan. 
I mean, first and foremost, he was a fan of music. Mm -hmm. It also, yeah. you know, we tell the story in the book of how how he, you know, he heard this silly song called Paul and Paula, and he was hooked. <laughs> but he was not only hooked by the music; he was hooked by the 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 whole dynamic of how does a record get to be number right. one? This is when he was, you know, eleven years yeah, old, and you're tracking um, that for weeks. Yeah, yeah, sure. yeah, and then he'd show up. You know, he he'd start charting the the top songs on the the cardboard from his dad's laundered shirts and right. bring them into, into school and pass them around <laughs> to kids. And so, so that's, that's a big part of it because the thread that goes through all of this and, and the book, you get the sense of this in the book, but what, uh, what you should also know is that this dude is a walking encyclopedia of rock. I mean, he's first and foremost a fan and he knows, it's just unbelievable to me how much he knows about different bands and like the Beatles, for example, but uh, but his stories of going to see concerts at the time that he was mm -hmm. learning how to play guitar, that I think is is a big part of, of this whole story for him. He just happened to have, we're talking about him as if he's not here, he just <laughs> happened to have, oh, my friend, I remember my friend, JJ. Uh, he just he just happened to have this this incredible uh, instinct for business, mm -hmm. which started out as an instinct, but over time became very conscious and intentional. Right. And uh, it's, that's an unusual combination. Yeah, for sure. Well, I mean, your career, your business career really started as a drug dealer as a teenager. So you managed to parlay that into, uh, you know, doing a few other things before you got into music professionally. But yeah, well, that that whole period from 67 to 72 um, was really an extraordinary time to be a teenager. Uh, it good and bad, because a lot of my friends didn't make it. You know, I lost a lot of them through murdered or drug deals or ODs, you know, mm. like crazy stuff. And yeah. and and uh, it was fun uh, while it was fun before it became really bad. But uh, to do that in New York City at the speed and pace that the insanity of New York, which makes, you know, it's like a Damon Runyon novel. Yeah. You know, it's just really insane. It's like guys and dolls on, on meth, heroin and steroids. You know, it's really. And then add to that going to Amsterdam in 71, which is the epicenter of the drug culture in the world in 1971 and being immersed in that whole scene. The fact that I came out of it is remarkable enough. The lessons learned were uh were unfathomably great because it really kind of made sure I, I had a life after it, but it was really crazy. And then as Steve points out the passion for the music, and we don't talk a lot about that in interviews. So I'll address that mm -hmm, the passion. Do. The music cannot be discounted. The passion for the music was so overwhelming. I went to so many shows. You know, recently I looked at my record collection and I realized that when you record a, let's say when a band makes a live album, let's say like Jimi Hendrix played the band of gypsies live at the Fillmore, you know, and they made an album of it. Well, I was at that show. And when John Mayall did the Turning Point album at the Fillmore, I was at that show. And when the band recorded the Rock of Ages album, which is legendary, I was at that show. And when the Stones recorded Get Your Yaya's at Madison Square Garden, I was at that show. Mm -hmm. And there's multiple Grateful Dead concerts that have made it onto albums. I was at all of them. So wow. I was at the right place at the right time in my life to have fueled my passion, which goes to the inspiration of the twisted method of the T-W-I-S-T-E-D, the I part. It's the inspiration that feeds your passion, that gives you the fuel to go when you're young and you have no money. Because that's really what you have to have such a 
burning desire to pull it off. And I wanted to pull something off. I wanted to pull off the fact that I could play guitar, that I could be in a band, that, you know, that I could somehow create a business model that works. Um, all of it was fueled by, as Steve points out, that first stupid song, Hey Paula, which to this day, if you put it on the radio, if you put it on my, you know, if, if I put it on the Sono system and I hear that opening line, I immediately become 11 years old again <laughs> in my bedroom and remember the awe and mystery that I faced trying to figure out what the hell it was all about. So yeah, it all starts somewhere, you know, and it started, it started there and it fueled me for years and years and years until finally you start making enough money that, you know, that it justifies the, uh, the passion and inspiration. <laughs> well, um, I mean, you tell so many great stories in the book and I, I, uh, I mean, at the same time that you're presenting the, the business method and I, I really want to get into that as well. One of the things, though, that's really core is that this idea of reinvention. And what do you think? I mean, your career tra trajectory certainly uh, typifies it. But what role does it play for an entrepreneur and a company coming up, this reinvention? Uh, well, I'll, I'll speak to it and Steve can speak to it. I, I look yeah. at entrepreneurial I, I, entrepreneurs is this. I believe you become an entrepreneur for one of two reasons. Either you have thought of something the world never saw before and you're willing to gamble everything in your life and, and, and everything, personal, professional, financial, whatever, to somehow show the world this thing that you've come up with, which is which you, you're just willing to, to just nearly die to get it out there. Or you see something that exists and you think you can do it better. Um, and you can improve on an existing model. Mm. And so take rock bands, for example. Obviously, before Twisted Sister, there was thousands of rock bands. I thought I could improve on an existing model. The model was the New York Dolls, who established themselves as the first kind of transvestite, you know, fluid, sexually fluid band out of the New York area. And, um, you know, and they had a lot of hype. And I was 20, and they're all 20. We're all the same age. You know, Johnny Thunders was born five days before I was in, 19, mm. in 1952. So we knew all these, I knew these guys from Central Park. And I, and I, and their image obviously was, was born through David Bowie. And, uh, and so they were super glammy. And I went to see them, and I just thought they were awful. And I thought you could do a better <laughs> version of it. So, you know, I just thought, but well, here's an example. I thought I could do a better version of it. So, so here's the, here's the point, the reinvention aspect of it, the, the constantly coming back over and over and over again is essentially a byproduct of the entertainment business of any business, but especially in the entertainment business, mm -hmm. because we live in a business of what have you done for me lately? Right. And you can't, you can never rest on your laurels in the music industry because the minute you have a hit record, the first question they say is, so what's next? Yeah. And you go, Jesus, can I just enjoy this for you know, five, five minutes? minutes? Yeah. So, so this, so then also the realization that you have to keep coming back over and over and over again is, 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 focused on in the book but at the time that it was happening i you know you don't know it's happening i mean you see it peel out in front of you it's almost like driving down a highway and seeing a major car crash and seeing the cars flying all over the road and go oh my god i'm in the middle of a car crash you know so this reinvention issue is something that that happened over years and years and years and because i kept diaries when i finally started to put this whole thing together in my brain about how the band made it i was able to go back and go wow on this day on this year this month with this lineup this happened this day and this year and this month and this this happened and this was our response to all of these uh, cataclysmic situations that came up which perfectly 
um, address just about every business issue in any business has nothing to do with rock and roll necessarily Mm -hmm. has almost everything to do with just business in general and probably life to a larger degree. Although I'm not going to say that we wrote the greatest book ever written on the planet earth. Although Steve certainly did a spectacular (laughs) job, but we certainly did write. We certainly did uh, with Steve's enormous talent, create a roadmap uh, to give people to, to, to give them hope about surviving life in general. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, to, to the point of, of, uh, of the question about reinvention, Ursula, um, we, we have this little riff in the book about how, you know, we, we reinvent ourselves all the time. Mm-hmm. I mean, you could, you could argue that we reinvent ourselves every time you get dressed in the morning. Some people do anyway. Right. And there are people like myself who wear black T-shirts every day. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, the, the thing is, we, reinvention is, is a buzzword. And as business people, we are very prone to using buzzwords. And we use them uh, because the, the reason buzzwords catch on originally is because they're great ideas. Mm-hmm. But if you think back over the, you know, the greatest hits of buzzwords over the years in business, you know, reinvention is up there with things like uh, re-engineering. Mm-hmm. I remember when that, yeah, you know, me that too. Was, that, in the early, early nineties, that, that was the, that was the big one. Yeah. Um, you know, and way back when we used to call it change. Remember that? Uh-huh. Uh, so, um, <laughs> So they're they're all they're all related to each other. The difference, I think, is reinvention is something. Uh, well, it's true for all of them, but particularly reinvention is is something that you do, uh, kind of strategically, or should be right. What do, what do I need to do differently now? Um, and and asking people. From a leadership perspective, you know, it's one thing to reinvent yourself and to reinvent your business if you have complete control over it. It's another thing to want to reinvent and have to enlist other people in it. Mm-hmm. So if you're if you're running a company, um, to you, reinvention can sound really exciting. But to the people that need to enlist <laughs> with you, yeah, it's like, oh, boy, here we go again <laughs> yeah. to uh, to to terror. I mean, there's a there's a whole. There is a whole range there. Yeah. And one of my mentors uh, once said, and I don't know if he was the originator of this thought, but uh, uh, he said, people don't like change, but they love progress, mm. Mm. which of course is change with, with uh, progress is change with a purpose and, and with a better end state. So if I can see myself in that better end state, then that's, that I define it as progress, not change so i just think from a from an entrepreneur's perspective we have to consider both things what am i willing to do to reinvent myself and to reinvent my business and also how can i bring other people along with it so the collaboration Mm -hmm. element of this is really is really critical yeah absolutely and i mean uh, in the 25 years i've been an entrepreneur i am constantly full of ideas and if you're bringing along an entire company with you, that's a whole other, it's a whole other animal. So, and I mean, rock and roll and the work you do, Steve, it's um, having a band. um, It's, it's all about collaboration. You can't have it without. And it, it kind of brings up this, this part of the twisted kind of formula that you talk about in the book. The second T is trust. And how do you build, you know, I guess that there's many, there's multiple aspects to trust. There's really, you know, trusting your own instincts um, and earning and maintaining 
other people's trust. So it just brought up the question of how on earth do you build credibility as a business consultant coming from the background that you have, JJ? And you, you have to prove it. So if trust means that you create a financial structure in which people are guaranteed a salary, which allows them the freedom to be part of the dream that you're all going after, that's trust because, mm -hmm. wow, you know, yeah. we, we obviously, here's a road map to stability, which is the S part. And you, you had, know, and you had a stable, stable business and we were able to, but the band trusted my ability to, to, to guarantee that we would always be financially solvent to the degree that we needed to be to get to each goal. And my singer D created music that constantly pushed forward the band's, the band's career. So, <clears throat> so there was enormous trust given to me on the business side and to D for the creative side. I looked to D, you know, I'm a collaborator. Obviously that's why Steve Farber is involved with the book. I wanted a book that was readable. If I was going to write it, it would be 19 volumes. It would be 8 billion pages and you'd be <laughs> bored to death after the first thousand uh, or no, probably after the first 10. So I'm a big believer in collaboration. And I think the band members, uh, Eddie and Mark Mendoza, and we went through many, many drummers like the movie Spinal Tap. But the point is that they trusted they trusted the accumulated vision um, enough to get it going. And that's created a st stability in the company that allowed the company to continue to grow. So mm. that's really what it is. And so if, if you look at it as a template for a perfect business, you'd say, wow, you must have taken a course in college and you learned that. And, we, and I'll say, no, I just kind of was a drug dealer and I figured it out. <laughs> like, I was just like the street guy who kind of hustled his way through his teenage years. But it became clear to me what needed to happen and only because the problems in the early stages of the band were so big and bold and broad and devastating. And you either um, adapt or you die. And I adapted by uh, organically coming up with these concepts, which can be laid out in a purely business sense. And that's, that's where the trust really comes in here. And mm -hmm. it's important because the band members to this day, I mean, I manage the band, I do the deals. I, you know, we, I re renegotiate record contracts. The, the, as years go on, it becomes more difficult and more, uh, you know, you bring lawyers in and you have to like sit there because they're not going to read 50 pages. They're just not. But they have to know that I am and that um, if my interests are successful, then their interests are successful. So mm -hmm. that's why it works in the, that context. Well, you did some kind of radical things early on, like you guaranteed everyone a salary, which is pretty rare, I, I understand. And also you uh, you had a no drugs, no alcohol policy, which can be the death of a lot of bands. So yeah, you yeah. did some kind of revolutionary yeah. things. Yeah, it's not normal. I mean, well, I can't say it's not normal. I've never interviewed, a, you know, I haven't interviewed a million bands to know their dynamic. But I just know that as far as we were concerned, we came out of a club circuit that was completely unique, will never happen again. The drinking age was 18 and the bars were gigantic. Mm -hmm. I mean, gigantic. We're not talking about uh, a bar on the corner that holds 200 people. There's plenty of those. We're talking about bars that just exploded in size up to 5,000 people. Mm. So what happened was the top tier bands who played nothing but cover material back in those days, you know, they're called tribute bands today. 
but we all played cover material for the longest time. You had a Doors cover band, you had Zeppelin cover band, you had a Jethro Tull cover band. Mm-hmm. And these bands were really good. In fact, they were so good. They were better than the bands they were copying, which, which led the kids to not have to go to see Aerosmith, not have to go to see Led Zeppelin or Jethro Tull, because you could see better versions of them in these copy bands. So that will also never exist again. And so when young musicians come to me and ask me about, you know, the, my opinions and stuff, I can give them to a point uh, general generalities, but I can never recreate for them the situation that we came out of, which enabled me to create a, uh, a stable uh, financial um, picture because mm-hmm. the money was really good. And we did not starve and eat cat food, you know, out of a can. Right. We, we had a really big organization and we grew and we made more money. But here was the thing. And this is the important part of it. We took all that money. We said, here's a base salary and everything went back into the business. And T for trust, they trusted us. Put the money back in. Let's make better demos. Let's make buy better equipment. Let's put on a better show. Mm-hmm. And as we did it, the popularity grew. So the proof as Steve says, it's the audacity and the proof, right? Mr. Farber, we proved to them that we could pull it off. Yeah. And you tell a great story in the book about being trusted with the light show and I'll let people read it when they read the book, but it's just a, it's a fantastic story. We'll get back to the interview in just a moment. First, I want to share an offer with you, the $1,000 marketing plan. If your body tightens up just thinking about marketing, or if you're not sure what to do next to bring in a steady stream of business, then consider the $1,000 marketing plan. This plan, customized for your business, will center your marketing around the most important thing for your business, your impact. For an investment of $1,000, you'll have a plan that clearly maps out what to do for the next 6 to 12 months to market your best offering and bring in the income you want. Be in alignment with what you value and the change you want to make in the world. Go to the1000marketingplan.com and don't forget the whole name, the1000indigitsmarketingplan.com. For more information, click on any button to get started. The link is also in the show notes. Oh, yeah, Ronnie Altman. Yeah, that was a boy. Talk about, yeah, and talk about trust that way. Okay. Yeah, because we, yeah, let, let's, I'll, I'll, I'll go into that for one second. So, uh, so this guy owns one of the biggest lighting companies in the world um, who, who didn't need Twisted Sister at all because we were using stuff that basically was nothing to him. Um, I became friends with this guy and he started to extend us more and more and more gear. And all he wanted was $25 a week to rent these big light, this lighting rig because we didn't have much money early, early on. And he said, look, just make sure I get the $25 a week. Just please make sure because if you don't give me the 25 bucks and you screw me, I don't really care about the stuff you screwed me for, but you'll mm. have lost a friend for life. Um, and over the years, the, the lighting equipment got bigger and crazier and it was still 25 bucks a week. And I said to him, why? why? And he goes, I just wanted to know that you were yeah. a man of your That's word. A big deal. That was it. He said that mattered to me more than anything else. And that guy passed away. But let me tell you something. A couple of years ago, I called the company to see if they were still based in, in Yonkers, New York. And his oh, wow. granddaughter was working yeah. the, the phone. And I said, I just want you to know that your grandfather did this for me. And she started crying. And she said, that's how he was. And thank you so much for telling me that story. And yeah, that's, that's an important, that's another important piece. Thanks yeah. for reminding me that. 
If we could just get people to understand, and when I say people, I mean in the in the broadest possible sense, but let, let's talk about business in particular. If we can just get people to understand the power, the simple power of yeah. doing what you say you will do. Shockingly rare. Um, you know, the, yeah, it is. And and the the older I get, the more I realize how rare it is. And what's so tragic about that is it's really pretty freaking simple. Um, you know, I've this this uh, twisted business is my the mm -hmm. fifth book that I've worked on, and in every book, I think this is accurate. In every book, there's a, I find a, an opportunity to reference Jim Cousins and Barry Posner because Jim, Jim is one of my mentors. They're the authors of the Leadership Challenge and a book called Credibility and several other books. But Leadership Challenge is their biggest book, and. I was uh, vice president of the Tom Peters company. Jim Kuzis was the president of the Tom Peters company. This was in the mid, mid nineties. And when I learned from Jim and which he has taught, you know, for 40 years now is a really simple principle that they call DWYSYWYD, D-W-Y-S-Y-W-D, which stands for do what you say you will do. They coined DWYSYWYD as a acrostic or acronym or whatever we call there it. It's go. a palindrome oh, also, okay. actually, by the way. But uh, <clears throat> but anyway, um, so we talked about that in the book because I always find some opportunity to mention that and the research that goes with it, which is simply says that without credibility, you have nothing. It's, it's, it's very foundational because if you don't, if I'm asking you to follow me as a leader and you don't trust me, obviously, the best you're going to be able to do is go through yeah. the motions and you're only mm -hmm. doing it for the paycheck. So you can't buy it, although mm -hmm. money's important, yeah. right? Like, like JJ was just talking about, if you actually say you're going to pay people and then you pay them and you, you're a steward for, for their, you know, their income as a leader that builds trust, but it, that can't be it. That can't be the only thing. You can't just buy people's trust. Well, I guess you can. You can buy it not through money, but you buy yeah. it through your own behavior. You buy it through mm -hmm. your own consistency between the words that come out of your mouth and the actions that go along with it. So th it's really it's really that simple and it it's really that rare. And in the business of rock and roll, uh, I think it's it's rarer if that's a word, still uh, so, so, you know, JJ comes along, builds this band and creates, creates an environment and a dynamic among the band members where people, they, they followed through for each other. And, uh, and even through the difficult times where they didn't like each other very much, they could still yeah. count each other to do the right thing. Yeah, that's really true because it had nothing to do with, um, our issues with the band it never were financial. And yet you have many bands that break up because of financial issues or distrust among band members. And that never was the case. We had ego problems. Yes, we had other major problems, but we've never had, um, we've never had those financial doubts. Like everyone just always knew that, that, that what was there, what was there and always there. And that's really good. My, one of my favorite quotes in the book was this quote from Duke Ellington, which I found way later in, in doing the book. And I love that quote. And he said, you know, he goes uh, to keep a band together, you, you know, you, you need, you need a plan. And he goes, you know, and mine was, you know, 
you need a gimmick. And mine was to pay the musicians. <laughs> and I'm thinking, what a, what, a, you know, here's Duke Ellington, you know, the band yeah, leader in the 30s huge. and 40s. And he comes up with that line. He goes, my gimmick <laughs> is to pay the guy. It's like, what, I know. what a concept, you know? Oh my God. I, I fell off yeah. my chair when I read that quote. I said, man, that's just a universal thing, well, you know? So, um, but what Steve said is 100%. Well, for those 100%. of us who do it, it seems like a no-brainer. Well, yeah, but it's it's still remarkably rare. So um, it's great to have you highlight that. You, you know what? When you have a record label that says, can you please deliver a record by this date or you need to do this date and you do it, that's how you build up credibility. So it's always being able to do what you say you're going to do and deliver on that date and make sure you can or don't over uh, you know, don't, um, don't stretch, spread yourself to the point where you can't fulfill these promises. It is, as Steve points out, it's so basic and so rare. Do what you say you're going to do. If someone says do this, you do this. You know, the band played thousands of shows and you know what, when the contract says show up at nine o'clock, the band's on stage at nine o'clock. If the contract says show up at nine 30, mm. you're on stage at nine 30. We never, ever, ever, ever missed that ever so when i go to a show and someone comes on late i'm annoyed they're not professional that's not what you do people pay hard-earned money to come and see a show you know we recently saw lady gaga and tony bennett my wife Great. and i went to see mm -hmm. them at, at carnegie hall she went on 50 50 5 -0, wow 50 minutes late 50 minutes late especially in an environment where covid where mm -hmm. everyone has to wear a mask and you really just want to get in and out as fast as possible it was unbelievably mm -hmm. unprofessional when i hear stories like that see them uh, among many things that is a that is a promise you make to your to your customer yeah. that you break it, 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 it's that it, it's it's accumulation mm -hmm. of many yeah, things yeah i wonder if tony example. would have showed up on time he's an old pro so he showed up you know what yeah. he was fine she just kind of just yeah. didn't do the right thing. And I, and I'm, and I'm, and I'm stunned by it because I happen mm -hmm. to think she's Amazing phenomenal entertainer. She could sing the, she could think she could <laughs> sing the phone book. She's brilliant. And she did this stupid thing, which I don't, or, or, or going to see Bob Dylan a couple of years ago, mumbling through songs. You couldn't understand well, the song. His song. He, so, <laughs> you know, so going, yeah. Well, okay, great. But I don't need to pay $170 yeah. for that. I'll pay 10 bucks at a local bar to watch a mumble and then put a sign up saying tonight I'll mumble my way through a song, 10 bucks, have a beer and pretend yeah. to know what I'm singing. But at $170, um, can you, can you, can you please sing a song? Right. I know what you're singing. You know, just know to be, is. just to be clear, not to go off on a tangent, <laughs> or anything, but just to be clear about this. So I'm also, you know, I'm also a long-term Dylan freak. The mumbling is not the issue. He, he, so Ursula, you say, well, he's always mumbled. It's kind of his trademark. This is different. What he does now on stage is different. He doesn't mumble. He kind of does that. He doesn't pay any attention to the audience. He, 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 doesn't, he doesn't allow the venue to use iMag, you know, the mm -hmm. magnification. So if you're sitting way back, you don't mm -hmm. have the big screen. The first time I saw him, uh, it was the first time I ever saw him. I waited my whole life to see him. And this was probably 15 years ago. And I saw him in this, you know, I had seats that were, they were far back and, and the screen was up there and he was tiny on the screen. He was bigger, bigger looking at him on the stage than he was on the screen. And I kept thinking, why don't they fix this? Obviously there's something wrong. Then I saw him again. It was the same well, thing. And I realized, Oh my gosh, yeah, he doesn't allow it. 
So it's that kind of a thing. There's and 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 the principle for any business person is there there are promises that you make that are both explicit and are mm. also implicit. And and there's a brand promise. There's a promise that that you don't have to verbalize that people still expect right. you to follow through on. And we have to be conscious of of all of that. And uh, I'm sure Bob Dylan is listening <laughs> to this, and maybe maybe he'll take yes. note. From two go. of his fans. Well, it actually speaks to one of the elements of the twisted formula, the ex excellence aspect and elevating uh, people, creating excellence in others. I mean, that does not exactly inspire either one of those in, in your audience and uh, as well. So I, I, I wanted to really get into this. It's not part of the twisted formula per se, but something really struck me that you said in the book, JJ, and that is, what drew you to Steve's talk at the conference where you got to know him was that he talked about love in business. And the last time I interviewed you, Steve, your book, Love is uh, Just Damn Good Business, had just come out. And I'd, I'd love to hear your take on the role of love in business because nobody talks about it, or, or at least rarely. So, JJ, do you want to start? Yeah, I mean, the first version of the band was just a bunch of young people who who were very hard on each other, although we were totally professional. Um, nobody ever said great. Nobody ever said this or that, you know, the crew kills themselves. You don't thank anybody. You just go do your job and say that's good enough. Kind of like the way a strict father would be that kind of thing, you know, not a, not a, not the kind of father that beats their kid. And then you turn into a beaten child. But we were just not particularly a warm and fuzzy crew and we never hung out with other bands and we were very antisocial and and we became so hardened because of our failures that we just kind of stayed very uh, insular and not particularly nice and um when i met steve the band had had um the band had started playing again but we had not played for 12 years and we got back together because of 9-11 because we did a benefit for the widows and orphans fund for the new york city police fire department and emergency workers following the disaster of 9-11 which was the first thing the band did when we came back which was a gesture that the band um realized what its value could be and how important it was to do a benefit and then the band started doing benefits on a regular basis. Almost every year, the band would do a benefit. And we started treating the crew differently. And we started saying nice things to each other. And, and when I met Steve, and Steve was, 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 was doing his talk, I raised my hand and I asked him a question about dysfunction in the workplace because the entertainment business is full of dysfunction. In fact, the executives in the entertainment business are way worse than the musicians I've met. I mean, these record company presidents are some of the, some of the sickest human beings I've ever met, other managers, really horrible, horrible people. And the ones who become very successful, unfortunately, my experience is, is that uh, and you're a bad person and you become successful, you kind of give credit to the fact that you're a bad person and that's what makes you successful. So it's just kind of like beating, it's the beaten child syndrome. So I asked Steve, you know, how do you deal with dysfunction in the marketplace? Because I come from the most dysfunctional marketplace in the world, which is the entertainment business, which is full of, as Steve says, liars, scumbags, cheats, et cetera, et cetera. And I never wanted to run my business. I never did. I couldn't. But um, But also what I loved about Steve's talk was it made me feel better about feeling better about the way we treated the crews now and the way we treated each other. And that we looked at, we looked at the value of the band being greater than ourselves. What Steve does is he makes people greater than himself. He's done it with a couple of, he's done it with me and he's done it with Tom. He can talk to you about Tommy Spaulding. Steve is a very giving person. 
we get along because we both do that. We both believe in collaborations. We both believe in mentoring people. And, you know, that's a special quality. Not everybody can do it, but it takes a certain kind of individual to be able to do it. And that's why we get along so well. And hopefully the book illustrates, among many things, the overall uh, temperature of the book is, is, is one that's extremely giving and loving. I think the love, the love is the, for, we got to be careful not to confuse correlation with causation. So when you look at bad people, quote unquote, bad people that become quote successful in business, it's really easy to look at them and say, well, that guy got there because he was an asshole, right? But he got there in spite of that, not mm. because of that or she. Um, so, so really all I do in my work is, is point out the dynamic that I've seen over and over again of the people who, who really come from a place of love. That doesn't mean, you know, group hugs in the hallway and, and not necessarily. I mean, it's not, it's not surface level sentimental sort of love. It's really, really comes from a deeper place in the heart that's, that says, um, we should be doing something that we're all proud of and i'm going to recognize you for the work that you do and i'm going to look for opportunities to have you grow and excel and and so what i've learned for myself is that i'm really in the confirmation business not the convincing business i don't consider it my job to convince people of this what happened with with jj i believe to a large part was when when he heard me kind of lay out the radical leap you know love energy audacity and proof framework that i've been teaching for many years it was a confirmation. He, he recognized himself in it. And he said, oh, maybe I didn't call it love, but, but, I, but that's, that's, that's what we've been doing. That's what's made us successful. So I think there was, there was a connection right from the beginning of, that was based on confirmation. He didn't sit there and think, oh my gosh, I've been doing it wrong all right. these years. It was, oh, that's what I've yeah. done. And now I just have a different way of looking at it. And, and once, once a person, it's true for any of us, once we, the, the light is, is, is shown on something that we've been doing consciously or unconsciously, but well, you know, unconscious competence, as it were, once I can recognize it, then I can, I can actually do it more. I can turn up the volume on it to use a, use a metaphor. <laughs> Um, so, so I think that's, that's what's happened. And that, and I've, I see it happen every day in, in my work. Uh, there's, there is a lot of love out yeah. there. We just have been conditioned to believe that we shouldn't be talking about right. it. And, and I, you know, I, I can't prove this, what I'm about to say, but, but I believe that most people already believe that love is, is good business. Mm -hmm. The problem is that most people don't believe that most people believe that love is good business. <laughs> right. So we don't say yeah. anything about it. So all I, all I do is, is talk about it and, 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 and then help people to operationalize yeah. it. Uh, so this, this book is, is actually in and of itself, the content aside, the book itself is an example of that. What happens when you, when you approach a project you know, from the heart? Uh, and that, that's, that's why we did this together. Um, the, the reason I'm involved in this project is because I love JJ and I wanted, I wanted to hear him tell his story 
And we both felt there'd be a better chance of getting this book done if I was involved in the project because I've, been, I've done it before a yeah. few times. So it's uh, it, it really it's, it's really been been a great deal of fun and extremely rewarding. It's great. And it's really wonderful to see how people are responding yeah, to it. That's great. Well, and, and it's a, I mean, JJ, you have an amazing story. And of course, um, you know, rock and roll is a realm that everybody can relate to and uh, kids often look up to rock stars. So you're, you're in a great position to spread the word about um, uh, a lot of the, I mean, the basic principles that you talk about, I mean, twisted stands for tenacity, wisdom, inspiration, stability, trust, excellence, and discipline. These are all amazing traits, qualities to develop and uh, so important for the business world. So I would, I would love to, I wish I could talk to you guys all day. There's so many things we could delve into, but um, the, the thing I always do at the end of these interviews is uh, do a rapid round of three questions about impact. And uh, I'm really curious to hear your perspectives on this. And, and uh, so let me just roll these questions out and see, see where we go with it. So first question is, what's the biggest thing you've learned about having impact? Uh, I can say that um, when you get emails from fans, telling you that your music got them through a tough part of their life. Until you get those emails, you don't yeah. know the impact until you have that one-to-one. -one. I have now accumulated many of them and they are incredible. And some of them can break your heart. But what the bottom line is, is that um, if that's what we did, if that's what our music did, if that's what a performance did, if it raised somebody's level of appreciation of life or help them getting through really the tough times, I'll take that as affirmation and greater than the 37 gold and platinum records and the money that it, that it has brought to that's me. Great. So that is the most that's satisfying great. part Thanks. of it. Steve? Yeah, the... Um... The biggest thing that I've learned about impact is how much all of us, how much of that all of us has. Mm. Um, I think we we tragically underestimate the level of impact that we have in the lives of the people around us, and and the the more you, the more you rise in life, in whatever context it is, whether you're the leader of a family or 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 an influential person in your business or in your team the more impact you have on other mm. people. And uh, I just uh, don't want people to underestimate yeah. Yeah, that. Yeah, absolutely. I, impact ripples out in ways you never hear about. And it's amazing when you do yeah. hear about it, but you can guarantee that's happening. Well, the yeah. second question is, what's the one thing you've consistently done that's contributed to your success and impact the most? Oh God, I, I probably just, you know, getting up and doing it again, you know, getting up and coming mm -hmm. up with another project um, and always trying to move forward. You know, uh, I can, yes, I can wax nostalgic and tell you about all these shows I went to and discuss the past. I can do that all the time. And, 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 and um, I can do it well because I've learned how to do it and tell the story in an educated, in, in an educational and a humorous way. But uh, I was telling my wife the other day, I'm, I'm, becoming so restless like what you know this project took five years four or five years to do the documentary on twisted sister took eight years mm. for that to get done uh, all of that while you know while while doing other things you know and becoming a good 
um, a good speaker, um, writing for a bunch of different publications, which I do now, running a podcast, which I do now. So it's always um, searching for the next thing. And I love communication uh, I, in general. I just really like it. I like hearing people's stories. I like telling, I like telling my own. I like hearing responses to it. And I like hearing other people's experiences. And that's why I like my podcast so much because it enables me to, to talk to writers, uh, you know, movie directors, TV people, uh, TV creators, authors, musicians, producers, managers. It's always great to get another mm -hmm. perspective of it. So I'm endlessly curious. And that's really the key to this business that we're all in, including what you're doing today. That really is the key. You know, we, we, we just need to be engaged and be curious. And, and so as long, you know, as, I, as Steve has heard me say many times, there's three kinds of people on this planet, the people who make it happen, the people who watch it happen, and the people who go, what happened? <laughs> And 99% of the people go, what happened? And I always swore to myself when I heard that description many, many years ago, I said, I'm either going to make it happen or watch it happen, but I'm mm. never going to go. That's what happened. Cool. Yeah. So I try to make, I try to make yeah, it happen great. as much as possible. Steve. One, yeah. One of the things that I've learned in the process of getting to know JJ and working on this book is, is something that I, I hadn't really thought of before. Uh, it's what we call in the book, uh, the boredom of excellence. Mm which basically is about repetition. So it's, it's honing your craft by working on it over and yeah. over and over again. And, and, you know, to the point where, you know, he makes this, this bold statement that Twisted Sister played over 9,000 shows, which is a huge mm -hmm. number. So we figured let, we'll prove it by actually putting the list of all those shows in the back of the book over several pages in very small <laughs> font, 9,000 plus yeah. shows. So for me, the what's what has impacted my success to a large degree i think is repetition but not not in the ways of not in this in exactly the same way it's it's constantly it's more in the field of communication it's the more the more i very similar to what you just said jj the more i talk with people and learn their stories the more I learn and the more I learn, the more I have to share with people uh, who are willing to listen. So on, you know, putting out content ideas on social media uh, and writing books and giving speeches and just sharing these ideas. I didn't make this stuff up. It's all based on observation. You know, part of it's my own experience, but the largest part is other people's experiences. Right. And then just my ability to be able to frame it up. So for example, um, at stevefarber.com, you could subscribe to uh, these daily messages that I've been doing. So Monday through Friday, you get this two minute up to, you know, on average, two minute message around what I call extreme leadership. And so people have, have reached out to me and said, well, how, how the hell are you doing that? I mean, that's a yeah. lot of content. You know, is it worth it? And it takes me hours and hours and hours. And it's mm. totally worth it because all I'm doing is putting out content uh, that, you know, things that I, I think people will, will benefit from. And of all the things that I've done, I, I get more positive feedback on that than anything <laughs> I've ever done. That's great. And, and, and it's, it's, it's so, so it's about giving. It's, it's giving people uh, support, knowledge, and ideas that will make them better, that will help them be mm. more successful. And it's about learning those things from other people. So it's that that as long as I keep that yeah. cycle going, 
everything seems to work yeah, pretty well. Yeah, the cycle well. continuing, absolutely. Well, the last question is, what's one piece of advice or an insight you'd share with entrepreneurs out there who are asking themselves, how can I have more impact? How can I positively affect things, be where it's happening, making it happen? Um, well, depending, of course, on the business that you're in, you know, that that's, I guess, depending on what that business is, you want to try to, if the idea is to make as much money as possible, then I think that um, that's kind of a misguided thing. And, and uh, it, it goes back to me watching The Voice or American Idol, and you watch a young person win and they're, you know, they're 17, 18, 19 years old. And, oh, it's a game changer. It's a life changer. And then they thank their fans for being with them for 15 weeks. And I, I almost fall over my chair, you know. Thank you for being loyal for 15 <laughs> weeks on Instagram. You know, I mean, I'm about to celebrate my 49th year in Twisted Sisters. So you can imagine my, my opinion, you know, when mm-hmm. I hear stuff like that. But, but because they don't even know they're at the beginning of their journey and they think stardom is owned and stardom is never owned. It's rented. It's never owned. That's a big mistake. But uh, over the years I've accumulated famous statements and, and quotes from people. And there's a reason why they're there. And of course there's the old standbys. It's not, you know, how many times you get knocked down. It's not how many times you get back up. And if you can't stand the heat, get out of the kitchen, all these other stuff, blah, 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 blah. And of course my Duke Ellington one is really cute, but the Joe Lewis one, the boxer Joe Lewis, I will paraphrase it because uh, I go into depth in the book on how to deal with, with rejection. And since people are basically reading my book and they're reading about an entertainer and we all know that, you know, we've been, Twisted Sister was turned down more times than a bedsheet and come back more times than Freddy Krueger, Michael Myers and Jason Voorhees. Um, there's one thing that Joe Lewis said, and it wasn't until I thought about it that I realized we did exactly what he said. And that made me feel even better. And Joe Lewis, in case people don't know, is one of the greatest boxers of all time. Some people will say, you know, Muhammad Ali or Rocky Marciano, you know, or maybe Tyson Fury these days. But Joe Lewis set the standard of it all. And and, and Joe Lewis had a statement. He said, um, when you get knocked down in the ring, you can't get back up so fast that nobody knew you got, didn't know you got (laughs) knocked down. So they give you the 10 count. Take the damn 10 count, get your head together before you get up and figure mm. out what you're going to do next. And that is probably the most salient bit of advice, because what happened with Twisted Sister was we would get rejected. We Something would happen. We'd get turned down by a record label or an agent or whatever. And. You know, we didn't go sulk it. You know, we didn't go break up. What we did was we mourned the rejection. And this all happened in, in kind of quick time. But this, is, this was the process. We mourned the rejection or the failure. We reflected on it. You know, thought about why, why we failed. And this is something you have to be brutally honest with. Because, because a lot of people, just because someone says you suck, doesn't mean you don't suck. You could actually suck. <laughs> and if you do suck, then you really have to understand why you suck right. if you're going to improve. So, so we mourned the rejection, we reflected on the rejection, then we retooled, meaning, you know, we corrected the piece that we thought was legitimately uh, impeding our success, and then we reapplied that. And this was a process that went over and over and over again. You know, we mourned, we reflected, we retooled, yeah, I thought we that was reapplied. a great sequence. And, yeah. and, and, that's, and that's essentially what all successful yeah. businesses do. And so, you know, the trauma of being knocked down, the trauma of the rejection sucks, but 
don't think that it doesn't have, it doesn't take some time to deal with it. Give yourself the time to deal with it and then to come back and you will succeed. You'll have better success, you know, but to think that, you know, it doesn't matter is nonsense. Of course it matters. And you should learn from every one of those. Yeah, I think um, I'll, I'll focus on what I consider to be one of the more universal. So regardless of what business you're in or what level you are in your business, or if you're in business at all, even uh, it's, it's the, the key to success is rather counterintuitive, I think, uh, for some people, which is to invest yourself in making other people mm -hmm. successful. Uh, a dynamic that I call greater than yourself. Uh, the greatest leaders become the greatest leaders by making others greater than themselves. And it, it requires a, a taming of the ego and it requires a, a level of uh, perception about other people to understand what they're capable of. The people in your life, mm -hmm. what are they capable of? And is there a way that you can help them realize yeah. that potential? Uh, and the more you do that, it's, it's a funny thing. And I don't think it's particularly, um, you know, metaphysical or cosmic. Uh, I think it's by, by virtue of the tremendous goodwill that you generate by acting that way, good people and good things come to you, uh, because people yeah. just want to be around you yeah. and they want to help. Uh, so invest in, in well, I think others. one of the greatest things people can do is to invest in and take part in and encourage and help other people have the impact they want to have. That's part of your own impact. So yeah, that's great. Yeah, exactly. Well, JJ and Steve, thank you so much for being here. I've, it's been a fascinating conversation. The book is amazing. And I think it's uh, really bringing to the fore some core things about business that are really important for not just entrepreneurs, but anybody in a, in a business setting. It's, uh, I mean, they're really on another level life lessons too. So thank you so much to both of you for being here and sharing all of that. Um, what are, uh, if somebody wants to reach out and, uh, and contact, uh, contact you, how, what's the best way to, to do that? JJ? So for me, JJ French, you send an email to ask JJ, J A Y J A Y, ask JJ T S for Twisted Sister, just the two letters. So it's ask JJ, J A Y J A Y T S at gmail.com. You can ask me any question you want, and I answer at that email. And of course, you know, I'm on Twitter and Facebook and everything else that you can possibly <laughs> imagine. Um, uh, because that's what we all have to do these days, Instagram, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Also, I have a podcast, the JJ French Connection, which is available on Spotify, Apple, and Podcast One. That's the JJ French Connection, J-A-Y-J-A-Y French Connection. Um, hopefully people will listen uh, to that. And if I'm doing a speaking engagement in your area, you know, if you if you go to my website, jjfrench.com, um, any um, appearances will be listed on, on there. I'm going to answer the one thing that no one's going to, you're not going to ask me is Twisted Sister getting back together. The answer to that question is we have no... Um, plans at this moment so don't worry about that <laughs> okay. that ain't gonna happen we have an album coming out with in december or late november it's going to be a greatest hits uh live oh, in the studio package <laughs> that's going to be out on wow. vinyl for all you people who want to like buy vinyl do that and buy our book uh that steve and i wrote it's on amazon or your local bookstore great. so thank you there you steve. go yeah people can find me at stevefarber.com and all the all the social media haunts uh like jj um and uh, you could sign up for the those daily messages that I talked about there. Uh, and now, Twisted Business, 
um, as JJ just said, is available mm-hmm. everywhere. Uh, one request is if you uh, if you are an Amazon user and you get the book and you like the book, uh, or even if you don't <laughs> like the book, uh, if you could write a review on Amazon for us, that would be yeah, fantastic. Because uh, the book the book is a baby, so you know it's just just uh, we just recently launched it just within the last few weeks. Uh, so we'd love to hear hear your response. And we we watch oh, it. We watch those. You know, we watch that thing incessantly. By, like by the way, does. there are a limited amount of signed copies available at the Barnes and Noble on Fifth yeah, Avenue okay. in New York City. Right. At least there was last week. I don't know if they're still available. If you want a signed copy, and you call, you have to call them and order from that store. That's the only thing you have to do. It's the Fifth Avenue, New York City. Um, Barnes and Noble right. on 46th Street. They do have signed copies there. Steve and I made an appearance there. We signed some books. We signed a bunch of them, and uh, they have them there. So okay, they may great. still have some. So if you want, some. and also, yeah, if you're in the LA area, there's a an independent bookstore called Book Soup, which is a very beloved bookstore in Los Angeles. Uh, they have some signed okay, copies. Great, I'll too, include that in the show notes too. So yeah. Oh, also, may I also do this? I'm also going to be signing books in New Bedford, Massachusetts on November uh, 4th, I believe. I'm doing a little book tour. Uh, It's gonna be involving New York City uh, and Long Island and New Bedford, Massachusetts. I'll be at Looney Tunes on the 7th, which is Sunday uh, on Long Island. So if you hear this as well, you can either go to New Bedford, Massachusetts on the 4th, I'll be doing an appearance in New York City on the 5th, and that will also be posted on our website. I don't know the name of the store. I forgot <laughs> what it is right now. And on the 7th, I will be at Looney Tunes okay. in Long Island, so in Babylon, I believe. So I think, Steve, we've pretty much hiked everything we can. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you I covered so. it. Promote. Oh, yeah, we just right. need some T-shirts. Now we need caps. T-shirts. I know you're both Where's wearing damn caps, t-shirts? which people yeah. can't see, but uh, you need some, you need some uh, caps for this. Yeah, I got yeah. NYC on mine. Right. Steve does In and Out you, Burger. You've you got both, both coast covered. <laughs> Iconic things on both coasts. So that's great. Yeah, we do. Well, thank you both for being here. <laughs> thank and you. Thank you for the work. Thank, thank you. you for the work thank you do in the well. world. Appreciate thank it. You. Thank you. Thanks for listening. Join me for more episodes. Subscribe on your favorite podcast app. And help us spread the word. Rate and review the podcast on Apple Podcasts. To discover more about your impact, schedule a business impact assessment, one-on-one with me, 60 minutes of focus on your and your company's impact and how you can increase it. Go to workalchemy.com BIA to schedule your business impact assessment. This podcast is produced on the traditional lands of the Cherokee, Tuscarora, Catawba, and Waccamaw Sioux and people. 